You're listening to the Nightlight Radio Network. This is Dr. Zohara Hieronymus, co-host of 21st Century Radio. We are happy to present this rebroadcast of our show on Nightlight. Enjoy. Joining us this hour is physician Matt Mumber, who is an integrative oncology expert, whom with co-author, yoga, and meditation instructor Heather Reed have written a wonderful book called Sustainable Wellness, an Integrative Approach to Transform Your Mind, Body, and Spirit. It's a new page 2012 release. You'll learn in part this hour how you can improve your overall life quality and prevent illness with eight steps over a period of eight weeks that each person can add to their lives. As a lifelong promoter myself and founder of America's oldest freestanding holistic healing center, the Ruscombe Mansion, I enthusiastically endorse this exploration of ourselves, the choices we make consciously and even unconsciously. From looking at our past to framing our futures, diet, exercise, stress management, and mindfulness all play a role. Dr. Matt Mumber and Heather Reed show that with greater attention and intention from each one of us, a healthier life unfolds with greater consciousness and appreciation for the natural gifts we find on earth and in each other. You two have written a beautiful book. It's really just packed with useful tools for changing your life. So let's start because I know you. we have two of you online, and so I'll try to direct my questions to um, each of you one at a time. Why don't we start with you, Dr. Mumber? It's not every day that a radiation oncologist gets hooked with understanding the role we each play in our wellness. No, it's... Uh something that I actively sought out. Uh, my exposure to the field really began with an integrated medicine fellowship with Dr. Andrew Wilde that I completed in 2002. How lovely. Well, I think and of what so, a benefit the world has now that integrative medicine is in so many universities around the world. When we started so long ago, there was nothing anywhere. So when you write a very simple sentence, Dr. Mumber, in the introduction of your book that I thought held a great deal of meaning, you said, quote, our experience of life influences our inner nature, unquote. And then I guess in one way to put it that the inner nature affects the world around us. So how does our worldview influence the kind of medicine as an example that you practice? Well, I learned a good long time ago when I started seeing patients after my conventional training that uh, as a oncologist I would sit with them and after they were done having their cancer therapy try to give them some ideas about ways they could help to manage their health to, to try to prevent the cancer from coming back as well as just to remain healthy and I realized that change really didn't occur and stay unless it came from within the person that I was trying to, to work with, and so it wasn't something that could be imposed on them, unlike radiation or chemotherapy or surgery. The type of change that it takes in order to embrace healthy lifestyle and just a different way of seeing the world and being in it really needs to come with from within. Well, do you see a commonality, Heather? I haven't forgotten you're there. We'll be to you in a second. Um, Dr. Mumford, do you, do you see a pattern in the way in which people end up with cancer or what cancer is in our culture overall? Well, the biggest pattern is that about one in two people over their lifetime right now will have some sort of malignant diagnosis. And then the, from a big picture pattern, if, if uh, we could create a pill that would do what the American Cancer Society tells us will eliminate 50% of all cancers, uh, we'd all run out and get it. And those things that they say that we should do are to eat better, to move more, 
to reduce our stress, uh, those are things that we know will reduce 50% of cancer. So instead of one in two people, it would be one in four people. Mm-hmm. So and then a big an... picture, that's really a part of the big answer. Mm-hmm. And, and though I have to say, having spent my whole life as an environmental activist, the pollution in our air and in our food and in our water, I mean, just the pesticides and insecticides alone in the food most people eat, we know are carcinogenic. So I sometimes think that the big story isn't being told at all, but we'll leave that for another time. So <laughs> so let me ask you, Heather, in Chapter 1, you ask the question of what is health, and then you talk about these differences between health, wellness, illness, and disease. Can you talk a little bit about why these differences? Health? is about balance, being in balance. And our wellness as individuals is an experience of that healthful balance. Just as illness in an individual is an experience of the imbalance of a particular disease. And we're on, depending on who we are and what our genetic background is, what our uh, culture is, what we're eating, what we're consuming, um, we're all on a continuum of that uh, health continuum or illness continuum. And our program, our eight steps, is about trying to um, embrace and engage every aspect of ourselves to rebalance, to find balance, to explore balance, which is not... Um, something that is static. Uh, it's not that we reach a perfectly balanced, healthful uh, situation and we never move from there. It's a constant series of adjustments and um, a constant rebalancing of um, every aspect of ourselves on this continuum. Well, I think you both have done a beautiful job in your book, Sustainable Wellness. And, you know, there are a lot of books in the market, and there's a lot of spiritual paths that talk about a lot of different things. And I have to say, I think you all have taken the best of everything and put it in one book. So anybody in the listening audience, you can use this for yourself. You can actually learn how to lead small groups based on the structure. You can do it with your family and your children or loved one or use it in the workplace. So you say that um, when a person wants to change their life and way of being in the world, this includes, as Dr. Mumber mentioned, diet, stress management. You write, though, that there's a series that we go through, Heather, in bringing this to, I guess, an understanding and a practice. You said there's pre-contemplation, there's contemplation. I love this book. There's preparation, action, and maintenance. So can we walk through this a little bit? Oh, certainly. Um, The first and most important thing, and we begin our program with this and the book with this, is awareness of um, being able to observe where we are and who we are in every respect um, to find out where we are and what's going on. So we have to have awareness before we can even identify uh, an imbalance, a problem, whether it's physical emotional, uh, spiritual. And then we can move towards um, adjusting, making small changes over time, developing um, strategies for ourselves. And, of course, everyone is different, so every strategy will be different. And then eventually working towards uh, a change with wholeness and uh, um, taking into account every part 
part of ourselves, um, from our personal history to our genetic makeup, as I said, to um, where we're living and who we're living with, where we're working, all of those things. And, and of course, you know, one, I love the way that in this book you have these exercises and under this area of awareness and exploration, the very first question was, when was the last time you made a major change in your life? And the second is, why did you make that change? And, you know, it's so interesting how having been in the sort of healthcare profession in general, not as a practitioner, but a advocate and administrators, I always, it's kind of like a joke, but I know it's true that illness is the way our body heals itself, meaning it gets our attention and we have to make a significant change. That's right. Um, illness is not, does not mean that we're unhealthy generally. Um, we were all experience illness as we go through our lives. It's how we deal with that particular imbalance um, that's key. And when we um, deal with an imbalance or an illness from a healthy perspective, if you will, then we can move forward and rebalance again, whether it's allowing ourselves to rest when we have a bad cold and experience the fact that a fever is um, the way the body is, is burning out, um, the things that we don't want inside of us, rather than pushing and um, trying to ignore the, what our body is telling us. As you said, when we're not feeling well, our body is trying to get our attention. And then we can maintain um, through small, small changes, small adjustments, that are geared towards us individually um, across the board, addressing every part of ourselves to help um, find that balance more often as we move forward in life. And Dr. Mumber, when you use these, like for instance, in this, in this beginner state, a beginner's mind, you say paying attention and becoming aware. So beginner's mind, and you also say there has to be trust and non-judging. How does this work for you as a physician when you bring these options to your patients? Well, I think when folks are sitting with me, they have a major crisis going on in their life. Mm -hmm. so they really want to pay attention. Um, there's a great story of um, kind of all, all, these, all these stories start with a, a wise master and a bunch of students, and the students say, you know, master, how do we really become aware? How do we become enlightened? And the master says, well, it's a lot like a group of people that are on an airplane, and they're, they're playing a game of cards, and they, whoever loses that game they have to jump out of the airplane without a parachute. And all the students say, oh, my gosh, that's a, we have to value life. We understand that's the key. And the master says, well, that may be true, but just think about how engaged those individuals would be with that game. So, so really people that are paying attention acutely to something that are really motivated to, to pay attention to it, I think that's a big first step to, to that beginner's mind. And then applying once we get to the point where we're able to, um, to hold our focus, applying things like non-judgment, like uh, patience and trust and letting go and, and non-attachment. Uh, all of these things then allow us a much broader palette of options. And you mentioned the word healing, and healing is often really difficult work or can be very difficult work. 
um, because healing often involves looking at things that we've really dismissed in the past. And so isn't it better to be able to approach the work of healing that can be sometimes difficult in a place where we're, where we're calm and we're at rest? And, and you also, throughout the book, talk about, hey, you know, you can always just come back to your breath. And, of course, anybody in the audience who's ever practiced, practiced meditation or hatha yoga knows that breathing properly has a great deal to do with stress management and not managing our stress has a great deal to do with chronic illness. So maybe you can address that a bit, because while you treat cancers, autoimmune disorders have all different kinds of names, which cancer is. Yeah, so I think all chronic diseases probably have a component of all of these pieces that are somewhat out of balance. And and so cancer is not unique, and I think you mentioned that ideally what we'd like to do is to ultimately prevent um, chronic diseases while they're still just illnesses that we can address the small imbalances that are present. And so basically the, the basic steps of uh, this approach fit in for really any approach to looking at how to balance out our lives, whether it be an approach that is one that we're trying to reverse a certain type of disease or whether we have an illness that we're trying to address or whether we're just trying to optimize our health and our, our wellness. Well, and I think that's the the beauty of your book, Sustainable Wellness. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to actually move into some of these eight steps because the first through the fourth is really awareness and practice and mindfulness. But when we come back, I'd like to start with the chair exercise, which is the ending of that series, because I thought it so unusual. You know, so much of the work that I've done in dance or in yoga or in right body arrangement is about sitting on your sits bone and kind of staying up and you have this beautiful exercise about relaxing into the chair so hold on everybody when we come back we're going to relax into our chairs with our guests dr matt mumber and heather reed their book sustainable wellness an integrative approach to transform your mind body and spirit go to sustainablewellnessonline.com i'm father paul mayer I work for the environment, and I'm the co-founder of the Interfaith Moral Action on Climate Change, interfaithactiononclimatechange.org. And you're listening to 21st Century Radio, hosted by Dr. Zahara Hieronymus, a wonderful interviewer who has brilliantly supported the issue I have devoted my life to, which is climate change and healing our planet. Welcome back to 21st Century Radio. I'm Dr. Zohara Hieronymus. Dr. Matt Mumber joins us with Heather Reed, co-authors of Sustainable Wellness, an integrative approach to transform your mind, body, and spirit. It's a new page 2012 release. It's a wonderful book. I know you all hear me say that a lot about all our authors' books because that's why we pick them. We look for the best in each field. And I've been at this field for my entire life, so I think I know a little bit about when a book is a good book. This is a great book. The exercises in it, I have to say, Matt and Heather, I asked myself a lot of these questions, and I was pretty blown away um, by how deep you guide an individual to go into their past, into their family structure, into the natural world, into their work relations. It's, it's a really extraordinary guidebook. So let's start with one of the exercises that I thought an unusual addition. You have an exercise about sitting in a chair. So which of you would like to lead this? It's called Sitting Down Straight. And um, as a yoga teacher, I've taught many, many chair yoga classes 
And um, I would see over and over again, almost immediately, that the group uh, turned into a bunch of students in sort of grade school situation. And I was the teacher up at the front of the room. Um, I could see it in their eyes. I could see it in their bodies with all this holding and tension and nervousness about um, expectations. Was Heather going to ask us something? Was, were we going to do the right thing? And um, so I devised this way to help people relax within a seated um, posture that would initiate um, the process of going inside to find balance, to uh, find that release of physical and emotional holding. So in the process of sitting down straight, we learn to really, truly surrender, firstly, the weight of the body to the chair or whatever we happen to be sitting on, and trusting the chair in this case to support us. And even imagine the weight of the body being surrendered to the earth, Mother Earth that holds us and keeps us and supports us no matter what. And then um, relaxing with awareness flowing through us, looking through the areas where we're holding on and holding back, where we're trying to hold ourselves up, sitting up with tension and, and stress. And through the process, the body begins to release, become heavy, um, muscles begin to soften, the breath begins to deepen, and allowing the awareness flow through every part of ourselves initiates that, that inner journey of tapping in and finding out what's going on deep inside and perhaps even approaching the stillness, the quiet place deep inside the heart where we all feel comfortable and secure. So it may sound a little quirky sitting down straight rather than up straight. But in fact, it can be a very, very rich practice. Um, a friend of mine was just telling me the other day that this is something that she does daily when she gets to the office. The first thing she does is sit down straight. Well, I'll tell you what it reminds me of energetically is being held as a baby. That's really sort of the feeling. And when you think about that sense of being cared for and nurtured, certainly every human has suffering. There isn't a human alive that doesn't. So this kind of energetic relaxation, as you say, being supported by the earth is really a major part of healing, of coming to self-awareness as to where in our body, as you say, do we hold energy or where in our body do we have illness, which has a whole sequela of response to the not only the nervous system, the autonomic nervous system, and the skeletal system. So you both write in your book that not only do we learn to follow our breath and try to explore our own lives, but you say that there's the self-knowledge is really vital in healing and in creating sustainable health. So if you could talk a little bit about this, this impact on our health of how we treat others and how we treat ourselves and how this sort of gets stored in our body. Dr. Mumber, would you like to address that? Yes. The, so basically, like you've mentioned, we try to address as total a system or as whole a system as we can think of. And so in order to do that, a truly integrated system looks at all 
the participants involved at all levels of their being and experience. And so all the participants can include, of course, ourselves, our uh, family, our coworkers, our neighbors, our members in our community, in our society, our country. Um, and then uh, we look at all levels of our being, so mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, and then all levels in which we experience the world. So we experience them through the lens of our individual self, and that includes uh, our personality type, our dominant personality type. And then it also includes the, we look at the lens of the culture in which we are raised and then the lens of the natural world in which we live. So the natural world experience is different for somebody living, let's say, in a country along the equator than up at the North Pole, basically. And so, so in looking at a really integrated system, that doesn't leave anything out. Yeah. And so if we were able to look at something as inclusive and whole as that, and then, say, take a specific topic like nutrition, like what we eat, how, what we consume, everything we consume, and look at all participants and look at how what we consume affects all levels of our being, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and how, how we view those things is changed by our dominant personality type, the culture in which we were raised, the natural world in which we live. Then we can, through that, applying our awareness to that, make choices going forward that make sense and have a positive impact. Well, I, I love the questions. I mean, questions to ponder. What are your earliest physical memories? What are the major life events of your body? If your body could talk to you, what would it say? What are your greatest physical challenges? What are your greatest physical accomplishments? And then that's in just the physical, and then there's mental-emotional. What is the first thought you can remember? I mean, these are just wonderful additions for any person who, because I guess my own life experience, I have been working my own recovery with Crohn's disease since I was a very young girl. And that's actually in part how I got into integrative medicine. So these journeys of recovery, of healing, are really a beautiful journey if we allow it to be. It doesn't, I mean, there's always some element of concern and fear, particularly if we have young children we're taking care of or we still have things we want to accomplish on the planet. But the, but the dance itself of, of the journey of healing is really a sacred journey. And you ask questions like, what is your greatest joy? What is your greatest disappointment in life? What do you consider your greatest accomplishment? I Meaning all of these things really do add up to our life and our life in the world. You ask, how do you relate to the world? What is your greatest desire? What challenges do you face? So these are beautiful things. So when you look at all of these, Heather, and you obviously um, lead a lot of groups, is that nourishment is not just physical food, that there are all kinds of things that nourish us, that feed us. And would you talk about this for a moment? Oh, absolutely. Um, and that's exactly it. We're nourished by far more than just physical food. Um, and we're nourished by um, our history and nourished by giving ourselves Space and the time to ponder, to uh, think about um, what's happened to us, how we've experienced our lives, um, what's happened to us, and the implications of, of what's happened to us. Um, these are the things that um, um, make us who we are in, in totality, uh, not, just, not just the obvious physical parts of ourselves. And, and that's when uh, nurturing our spirituality 
um, become so important um, in this day and age where it's um, so easy to get information, which is a good thing. However, I fear that we've gotten to the point where if we don't have an instantaneous answer to anything and everything, that we, we're just frustrated and disappointed. If we can't Google it, um, that if we can't get an answer, um, is the question worth answering? Um, are we afraid to sit with unanswered questions? Um, are we afraid to sit with mystery, with the mystery of the universe? Why we're here in the first place? Why we live in these material bodies? Um, what happens to us when we die? Where were we before we were born? All of these things that have um, been part of um, humanity for, for millennia. And um, it's such an important part of our whole experience that affects, affects physical health, emotional well-being, how we treat ourselves, and how we relate to other people. Yeah, cer certainly. Th I think that there's been enough science now that shows the relationship between our emotions and our hormones and our endocrine gland system and so these things that all the sacred traditions teach about mind affecting matter so that we know, as the Simontons proved so long ago with visualization, that even visualization is a healing tool. We have inner technologies that we can use for our restoration that are as great as any external technology that science and medicine have to deliver. So you, you write then that, so this week one that people practice that we've talked about is awareness. And week two then is turning this awareness inward. And then the, the third through sort of the eighth weeks or the fourth through the eight weeks are this three legs of a stool as an integrative process. And you address physical activity, nutrition, and stress management. How would you like to answer that, Dr. Mumber? Because I think the interesting thing about food is that something I mentioned early on. So much of our food that we think is healthful, like a broccoli, but if it's not organic, it's carrying so much pesticide, insecticides, herbicides, and other things that it's not healthful. So how do you distinguish between healthy food and not so healthy food? I'd refer you to a great book called The China Study um, that basically looked at a, a huge sample of individuals in China, and the gentleman that wrote it basically said that uh, the best diet after looking at that study and going through it scientifically is a whole food, plant-based diet. And there's really only two questions you need to ask yourself whenever, whenever you get ready to eat something in order to determine whether what you're eating is part of a whole food, plant-based diet. The first question is, is it from an animal? Is it from a plant? Mm -hmm. from an animal, it's not part of whole food, plant-based portion of that diet. And then you get to that second question, if it's, a part, if it's from a plant, is it a whole part of the plant, the fruit, the nut, the stem, the leaves, the seed, the root, or is it a part of the plant that you've added oil and salt and sugar and all kinds of other stuff? If it's the latter, then that's really a processed food, and so that kind of goes to the side as well. So if we can concentrate and have most of our diet be whole parts of plants, that's a vital thing. From a standpoint of organic versus um, basically uh, industrial raised uh, products, there's a nice list. There's a couple of nice lists in the book 
of dirty dozen uh, fruits and vegetables that typically have the highest levels of pesticide residues and which it would be really important to buy organic. And then there's something called the Clean 15, uh, and those have lower pesticide residues, and you can probably err on the side of not having to seek those out from a standpoint right. of so organic. Right, so the dirty dozen, the ones you want to buy organic, are apples, strawberries, celery, peaches, spinach, imported nectarines, imported grapes, sweet bell peppers, potatoes, domestic blueberries, lettuce, kale, and collard greens. And then those you say are lower in pesticides, though I have to say now with GMOs coming into the wheat and the corn and products, I have a physician who tells me the best way to eat is to ask yourself, did it exist a thousand years ago? And if you ask yourself, did it, and I do this exercise, and of course I fail a lot, but I keep trying. And that's the other thing I'd like to address. Maybe you'd like to address this, Heather, is that, you know, we can't make changes overnight. And certainly they say it takes eight weeks to change a habit, but sometimes it's we succeed and then we fall back. And so, you know, I want to go eat some processed sugar food and I eat it and I know while I'm eating it, well, this isn't the best thing for me, but I don't beat myself up about it. I just try not to do it often. Talk to us a little bit about changes we make and how to how to treat ourselves while we make these changes. Well, that's it. We tend to beat ourselves up a lot when um, if we could practice gentleness and patience and self-acceptance, knowing that none of us are perfect that we all make imperfect choices, um, that would be a wonderful place to start. And especially this time of year when we're um, thinking about the new year coming in and, oh, I need to make this change, and if only I did this, things would be better. I mean, that's a a wonderful thing to think about. But we tend to um, take on too much. We tend to embrace, you know, huge, huge changes all at once that are just not sustainable. And then we'll fall off the diet or the exercise regime, whatever it might be, and may even have a sense of, of failure about it, where it's, it's much more um, sustainable, gentle, um, commonsensical to do things a little bit at a time. And generally, when we get ourselves into trouble with not-so-great habits, with uh, poor choices in food or inactivity, whatever it might be, it's, it's a little bit over time that suddenly um, becomes a big problem, develops along the way. And we can make positive changes, little drops at a time, little bits at a time, doing things um, slowly and consistently, and um, maybe choosing one or two things to focus on, whether it's a diet issue or a physical activity issue. Um, and it, it, over time, the good things begin to change and develop, just like uh, the stressors and the not-so-good things do. Um, when I was a, a kid, I did an experiment with my dad, um, which affects me to this day and influences um, the work that we do together. Um, I used to love to romp around fields of wildflowers, and I always loved the Queen Anne's lace that grew in Wisconsin. And it has these little teeny tiny white petals. And I wondered as a, a, a small child how the rain got into those little petals. And my father uh, concocted this experiment for us to do to teach me how that happened. 
and we cut the flowers and put them in a big jar, and then he had me drop in uh, food coloring into the water. And I watched the water turn blue and wondering what was going to happen, and he smiled and said, wait, the, show, the flowers will show you. So by the next morning, the Queen Anne's lace had turned blue because, of course, the stems had drawn this tinted water up into the petals. And it was just the most amazing thing. I didn't quite, of course, understand the science behind it. I didn't quite understand then the lifelong implications of it. But the fascination that just two or three small little drops of food coloring could change the look of a whole group of flowers. And this is what we can do in a sustainable way, by dropping in small changes, small incremental um, interventions in our lives, in our inner being, and then watch how our expression changes for ourselves and the experience of our own lives, and also how we affect everything and everyone around us. That's beautifully said. We're going to take our last break of the hour. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about why processed foods, sugars, and carbohydrates, which compose a good deal of the American diet in general, unless you choose not to. That's pretty much what's served up everywhere. We'll be right back. You can learn more about our guest book at their website, www.sustainablewellnessonline.com. Our guests this hour, though, have wonderful, wonderful tips of sustainable wellness, an integrative approach to transform your mind, body, and spirit, a new page 2012 release. Go to www.sustainablewellnessonline.com. There's always links to our guests at our website, 21st21stcenturyradio.com. So, Dr. Mumber, I would like to address the issue and problem of the fact that the majority of the American diet is made of processed foods, a lot of sugar, a lot of carbohydrates, and a lot of additives. Yes, that is a major problem. It's a problem on multiple levels. The first level is that it's not providing much in the way of nutrition. It's not providing the nutrients that we need. Uh, So we're being overfed but undernourished. Um, The second is that it is providing a lot of calories that go into what leads to ultimately the problem of obesity that we have in our society. And then when you get to that level, it also provides a pretty wild ride for our internal hormones as we try to keep up with big surges and blood sugar release. And it also creates a very pro-inflammatory environment in our bodies so that when we have the inevitable injury, Um, what happens is that injury is much more acute. And what we're finding out is that that inflammation not only comes up and gets us when we were, for example, to have an injury where we would hurt our knee or step on our toe or something, but it also happens just on a daily basis that when our body's in a very pro-inflammatory environment, for example, we're much more likely to lay down plaque within our coronary arteries we're much more likely to be unable to have our immune system manage to kill off these rogue cells that might cause cancer, and we're much more likely to experience inflammation in our joints that could lead to arthritis. So a lot of the chronic illnesses that we face are really due in large part to what we take in. So the old adage, you are what you eat, is definitely true. 
And yet, you know, I have to say, after all these years of being involved in this work, you still don't see honest advertising. You don't see honest marketing about the disease-causing food that fills the majority of our supermarkets. And it's that simple. Or some people say, if you don't know what to buy in the supermarket, stay in the outer court of your supermarket, the perimeter. Don't go into the inner aisles because that's where all the canned and processed and junk is. But if you stay to the outer, you'll get that fresh fruits and hopefully greens and things. So step six in your book is about stress and distress and that they're different from each other. And you say what we need to do to sort of address these things, because constant stress can certainly lead to illness. We need to reframe, respond, and surrender. Yes. And so the, the, that you're talking about the PQRRS practice. And so the first, the P is practice. And that practice is really cultivating awareness. And then the Q is question. So will it being willing to ask questions without automatically needing to know the answer, just to be able to hold a question. And then when we have a question in mind, then we can oftentimes, when we're in a calm place and we're willing to look at it without immediately trying to fix something, we're often able to reframe the way we see a situation versus how we would if we just automatically respond, responded or reacted. And so when we're able to reframe the situation, then instead of just reacting based on previous experience, based on what our personality typically is, based on just the way the wind blows that day, uh, kind of like an automatic robotic action, instead we can choose to respond in a way that actually is healthy for us, that creates a further balance rather than tipping us more out of balance. And then the hard part really comes after that, and that is kind of difficult for, for me as a uh, type A, type enthusiast, type 7 personality to manage, and that is to surrender, to let go of the outcomes, to realize that I can do my best and I can have a certain plan and I can try to adopt it and have all the best reasons in the world, and, but there's something beyond me that is really a big part of whether or not something is going to come to fruition or what the ultimate outcome is going to be. So that surrender piece is really vital. Yeah, I think that all the consciousness studies show us that the thing we can control is our intention and our awareness, but we can't control the outcome. The whole universe is collaborating to that outcome, but we can control our intention. And I love the fact that both of you added light pollution and sound pollution in your book, because it's not often talk about, and I know I'm not alone when I say if I go into a market or a mall with fluorescent lighting, I am whizzed out within about the first 20 minutes and I'm exhausted and want to leave. So talk to us a little bit about the amazing light pollution and sound pollution and how that's affecting all of us. I think we don't even realize that it's uh, that it happens. Um, our, our eyes are constantly exposed to some level of light almost all the time, um, and so and noise as well. The, the humming of something in the background, um, not only the, lar- the loud, loud noises around us, but the small ones that are going on all the time, that we're never, never in complete silence, and we're never uh, in a place where it's completely dark. And from, from a yoga point of view, there are ancient practices where... We, we withdraw the senses in order to relax the body, the mind, and the spirit. And um, we can do this 
intentionally now, since we can't go outside at night and just gaze at the stars. There's often so much light around us from cities nearby or in the distance that we can intentionally rest the eyes and maybe put, um, you know, a piece of cloth over the eyes and imagine the eyes relaxing or uh, getting into a place that's, that's quiet. And at least if it's not completely quiet, um, being mindfully aware of the sound uh, can somehow diminish it, uh, identify it, and therefore it begins to have less effect on us, I believe. And I'd like to offer one little exercise. If you're in the shower, particularly in a bathtub, you can give any message you want to yourself for your own healing by simply stating it into the water. Because we know for a fact from quantum physics that water holds any signature we put in it, any thought, any form. So, folks, if you're suffering in some way from some illness, get in the bathtub and say, I love you. Or if it's a particular organ illness, tell your organ you're going to take care of it. And it might seem silly in adolescent, but it's really not because these are really messages you can give to your own body. And the easiest, simplest way is to do it when you're in the water. You can also do that to the glasses of water that you drink. You can bless your water, and that blessing really does go into your body. So finally, closing in your book, you talk about spirituality, that there's these three basic stages of development. First, we develop ourself. Then we develop ourself in relationship to other. And then we develop ourself in relationship to the all, where we see ourselves as all. So, Dr. Mumber, how does this affect you as a medical practitioner, these three stages? Well, I think it's important to be able to realize where a person is when they're on whatever journey that they're going through right now with their body and also to then apply that basically to however we can lead them along into the process of healing, whatever their, whatever their healing is focused on. So for some individuals, their healing may be focused on trying to prevent a cancer from coming back. For some individuals on the opposite end of that spectrum, their healing might be more focused on finding a way to um, kind of come to grips with things throughout their life and and go through uh, a peaceful dying process. And so when people are at a specific level of spirituality, it's good to know where they're at and, and, and understand kind of how they can best go forward to, to relate to the other people in their life, to relate to what's going on with them internally, mentally, physically, emotionally, uh, and spiritually, ultimately. Well, certainly because all the spiritual traditions teach us that when any one of us suffer, we all suffer, and that's a vibrational reality even if we don't grasp it in our hearts and minds. So in closing, is there anything, Heather, you'd like to say that I haven't asked you about? Oh, just to be gentle with ourselves and to be aware of, um, everything that makes us who we are and uh, to proceed with um, open mind, open, open heart, mindfully aware of um, the choices that we make and, um, and take it one step at a time. Well, and as you make so clear, it doesn't matter what age we are, whether we will live another day or another 40 years, that we can always be planning our life. We can make a map of our life and what we want it to look like, no matter what our situation. Dr. Mumber, how has this kind of work impacted your work with your patient population? Well, it pretty much 
governs everything that I do as a physician. There's, it's really a relationship-centered approach instead of a technology and procedure-centered approach. And medicine, I think, in, in general, is moving toward being focused on love and service. And that service is only really possible when we focus on the commonalities that exist between a doctor and a patient. And that is the most basic commonality is that we're all human. And so that love, that service that we can provide for each other is, is really, I think, the way medicine is evolving. And that's certainly the way my practice has evolved over time. Yeah, it's very fortunate. I think Dr. Larry Dalsey, when he did the very early work in the in the 80s about prayer and healing, it was a terrific addition. And so there's so many wonderful MDs now who write about these journeys of the change for themselves and then the change in their practice. And our medical director at the Ruscombe Mansion, which I mentioned is the oldest holistic healing center, at least on the East Coast, maybe the country, our medical director is an anthroposophical homeopathic physician. And Sometimes when you try to describe these amazing remedies that are made from minerals and plants, just signature extracts in water that so heal, they don't even want to hear it. And it's so unfortunate. But I'm glad doctors like you exist. And I want to thank you both for a beautiful book, Sustainable Wellness, an integrative approach to transform your mind, body, and spirit. Learn more at www.sustainablewellnessonline.com. And, of course, we also have links at www.21st21st-century.com. Dot com.